0: Greetings, friends, family, enemies, and total strangers of all kinds. Welcome back to The Extra Milestone, your uh, weekly slash bi-weekly Cinemaholics spin-off series where we go back in time to, dis- uh, to discuss, <laughs> off to a great start, the classic films that made the cinematic landscape what it is today. I'm your host as always, Sam Noland, and with me I have... A long-awaited guest on the Cinemaholics Extra Milestone. It is, at last, the one, the only, Mr. Adonis Gonzalez. Adonis, how are you?
1: Hello. I'm doing just fine, Sam. Good, good. Just enjoying my time here uh, in the middle of this... (laughs) burning hellscape that i call home
0: yeah it's uh it's the summer right now and you would not be able to convince anyone otherwise it's incredibly hot right now uh honest i'm I'm a summer child myself i don't know about you but it's my favorite season by far so it's a small price to pay for
1: oh i love i love the summer i love everything that comes with it you know Going to the lake, uh, the lake, the one lake that you have in your
0: vicinity that hasn't evaporated from the heat. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's more of a skate park at this point. Um. (laughs) (laughs) There are like
0: corpses at the bottom of the lake from unsolved mysteries from years ago. This episode went to a really dark place. Let's let's sort of let's sidle away from this Uh, and let's talk about the fact that uh, this is the extra milestone. Now I want to let let's just let's just. It's the elephant in the room. Uh, i I had announced that you were going to be my first guest on the extra milestone. Uh, and in fact, that did not work out because Adonis is a good, hardworking, honest, and in incomplete understanding of his priorities. Uh, Good Soul. So for for all those reasons, uh, it just could not work out that Adonis was the first guest. We don't actually know when this one is going to come out, but presumably sometime in the next month. Uh, But Adonis, you're here at last. How does it feel to be on the Extra Milestone for the first official time?
1: Oh, it feels great. It honestly feels uh, really good to be podcasting again, Yep. Um, especially uh, recently. I've had a resurgence in watching movies. Mm. Uh, for a while, I just kind of—I stuck to television, you know. Streaming kind of got a hold of me. Sure. Uh, watched perhaps, perhaps a little too much of the Good Place. <laughs> I think I binged uh, three seasons worth in a matter of three days. Oh my and goodness! I don't think that that is uh, um, what's the most mathematically possible. Uh, mathematically <laughs> possible or recommended? <laughs> yeah. uh, nine out of ten doctors would actually disagree with my with my uh, my habits but yeah. uh I'm, yeah like i said i'm really glad to be here glad to be talking about movies again with one of my favorite person to talk about movies with uh it's a dream come true well that uh, that's
0: very nice of yeah. you to say i want to say i want to say real fast that there is no such thing as too much of the good place uh but i think <laughs> i i can see what you're saying that does that does seem like a lot but i'm glad that you're back in a movie watching mood and that's a good thing because adonis We've got some uh, we got some movies to talk about today. Three of them, in fact. That's, this this is going to be our first, uh, at least the first one that I've done. Our first triple feature on uh, the extra milestone. So just to just to give a little preview, we are going to be talking about John Ford's The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, we're going to be talking about Ishiro Honda's Terror of Mechagodzilla, which I'm very excited about, and finally. DreamWorks' is How to Train Your Dragon. We're bending our rules a little bit. We usually stick to the 20th century uh, when it comes to the extra milestone. But because this is a little bit more of a free-flowing uh, show, and plus I think we both have uh, somewhat of a personal connection with this movie in particular, I think it's okay to bend the rules, and I anticipate that we'll be doing that uh, more down the line. But for now, Adonis, what do you say we get going on our on our A feature, so to speak? that's it. yeah so it is john ford's the grapes of wrath sweeping across the country comes one of the great literary achievements of our time a human revealing soul-stirring story that instantly becomes the most discussed novel of modern literature the grapes of wrath the grapes of
1: wrath please i have to put you on the waiting list We've never had such a demand for a book. Do you have a copy of Grapes of Wrath? Sorry, we're all sold out.
0: Yes, the Grapes of Wrath. Well, send me as many copies as you can. I can't supply the demand. The Grapes of Wrath. 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 As sales skyrocket, The Grapes of Wrath becomes the book of the nation. Everyone, everywhere, joins in the discussion of its vital problems. Due to this unprecedented popularity, producers vie for the motion picture rights, and finally, Twentieth Century Fox announces the purchase of the book and plans for its immediate production. A storm of discussion arouses the nation. It is, of course, based on John Steinbeck's novel. And Adonis, I want to ask you right on the bat uh, two questions. First off, uh, have you read the novel? And secondly. Uh, because I know you've seen the movie what's sort of what's your relationship with the movie itself?
1: Oh, okay. well, to answer your first question, I have not read the novel, okay. but I really want to pick it up and read it yeah. um I can't remember if it was ever an option in my school to read it i it was an option to uh to watch the movie and we did and I'll get into that when I answer your second question mm-hmm. but um uh, it's yeah I, I don't I don't think I ever really I, I i'm sure i own the book yeah. the grapes of wrath is kind of just one of those books uh like the bible or um <laughs> all of the harry potter novels that you kind of just see show up in people's houses you know yeah.
0: you sort through uh, enough so addicts sure. you're bound to you're bound to find a copy of the grapes of wrath right. and the christian bible apparently so that's good to know <laughs>
1: but you'll never find out who bought it. Like you could ask oh, everyone no. in your family and they'll just go, Oh, that's always been there. Yeah. Well, it just, grandma. It can't have always <laughs> been here. It
0: just sort of materialized <laughs> out of thin air. Fittingly enough.
1: <laughs> fittingly enough. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to answer your second question, I did watch the grapes of wrath when mm. I was younger. Uh, well, of course like... you couldn't
0: have watched it when you were older. Could you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, but much like everyone else, uh, as a school project. And, uh, it was, it was interesting rewatching it, uh, just for the fun of it, because, you know, y- you get told to watch something, uh, to, to write a, a 200 or so word essay on it. And you're just like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, I already hate this movie yeah. for making me do all of this work, uh-huh. but even seeing it the first time, uh, I really loved the grapes of wrath. It's, it's, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a, a big, plot twisty kind of movie which admittedly is my kind of thing Mm. uh it's very straightforward it's got a a beginning a middle and an end and relatively you can see it getting to every place that it gets to fairly easily there's no there's no huge twists and turns besides you know i guess the the uh the lack of of uh rising up to the expectations that the characters uh are are expecting yeah um but yeah, but I, I still really really enjoyed it when I saw it the first time. I enjoyed it when I when I watched it again, um, and it's definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Nice, uh, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. That it's just it's a really good movie.
0: That's great to hear. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that, but first, uh, just to just to clarify um, something that has actually uh, come up uh, on previous episodes of the Extra Milestone, uh, we are going to be a little loosey goosey with spoilers, but I think with these three movies uh, in particular they're not really twist based. I think it's fair to say that the, the grapes of wrath is kind of one of those movies where like, I, I think it's fair to say you could hear the whole plot and still like not really understand how the story plays out you know what i'm saying like it's not a movie that Great. is based on the incidents taking place within but of course by all means if you'd rather uh have seen it beforehand uh we are going to be talking about all these movies somewhat at length so uh keep that in mind as we continue uh secondly yeah the grapes of wrath is interesting because it's one of uh, it, it was released in 1940, I should say. Uh, March of 1940 is when it premiered wide. Uh, and that is uh, the celebration that we're doing for this month. All these movies are March releases. Um, but it doesn't really come up that often on, like, best of the 40s list. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's sort of the holy trinity yeah. of Citizen Kane, Uh, Casablanca and it's a wonderful life, which admittedly all phenomenal movies. I want to make no, like no reservations about any of that. Uh, but a lot of the times it stops there, but now part of that is just because it's like, you know, it's older and doesn't get as many eyeballs on it. Um, but also it's kind of an unassuming movie when you think about it. Like it's not, it doesn't have some great, big, huge, like innovation. There's no particularly notable like quotes or anything from it. Uh, great. It was, it was nominated for several Oscars and indeed won a couple of them. Um, but it just doesn't come up as often, which I think is a damn shame because I'm in full agreement. This is a utterly fantastic movie. I first saw it in the summer of 2017. So three years ago now, And I watched it like not more than a couple days after having a very dramatic dental appointment uh, in which I got all four of my wisdom teeth removed. And for whatever reason, I was I was laid up on the couch and decided what better time than now to throw on the grapes of wrath because I'd never seen it before. uh, And it was available on some Streaming service or whatever, I thought, why not? Let's do it. And I vaguely remember falling asleep in the middle of it and having to having to pick it up later. But that was no slight on the movie, uh, as it turns out, because as I rewatched it several weeks ago now for this uh episode, um I was reminded, oh, so it's fantastic. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, and to clear it up, I have, I read the novel a long time ago. I want to say freshman year of high school. So I I remember very little, but I do remember liking it very much. It's, it's, it's the rare, um, we, we all have a few of them. It's the rare like school project book or movie that actually made an impression as being like artistically awesome. Uh, I remember specifically, I saw 12 angry men in a government class one time and thought, Oh, this is going to be just the most tedious nonsense ever. And lo and behold, it's actually one of the greatest movies of all time. So that worked out nicely. (laughs) Wouldn't you say, uh, and yeah, the Grapes of Wrath was very much the same. We did not actually watch the movie, which was unusual. That was that was always sort of the reward, wasn't it? Like we read the book and then for like as a reward for getting through the book, which is kind of which is kind of condescending, come to think of it. Uh, but you, you'd get to watch the movie in class. That was always that was always something to look forward to. Uh and yeah, right. re-watching it, I was a just sort of really taken by the storytelling. It's it's John Ford really has has a knack with uh creating a world in which like like the like the characters within it the main characters at least really you really get wrapped up into them because they're so uh they're so heavily fixated on it and they're so meaningfully explored each and every one of them are, or well not necessarily every one of them but the ones that matter they're really given a lot of dimension which is impressive considering just how often john ford worked he would crank out like two to three movies a year. I believe I don't have the exact number in front of me, but John Ford, by the time he died, had directed somewhere in the ballpark of 125 movies, which is ludicrous to think about. It was a different time. So they were able, they just sort they were just sort of cranked out in a much, at a much faster rate, but even still that's insane to think the 125 of them. And that so many of them turned out to be like all time classics that we still talk about today for better or worse. Uh, that's very impressive. Um, so I think that is that's part of the reason I was so taken by it and and loved it so much more the second time. But also, I was really taken by how appropriate it feels to watch now in the midst of the year two thousand and twenty. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that actually turns out is still relevant today, eighty years later. Did did you find yourself having the same sort of uh, uh realization?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean. It, it, yeah, it's an 80 year movie, but there's still a lot of uh, relevancy within the plot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And speaking to the plot, I, I say uh, let's let's just lay sort of the basic groundwork. So the so the Grapes of Wrath is set in uh, the Great Depression right in the middle of it. Um, and the first thing that happens is we see Tom Jode, played by the great Henry Fonda, uh, mm-hmm. arrives uh, like is just released from prison and. Is trying to find his way home is hitchhiking through the Oklahoma wilderness, and it, it's uh, we we find out very quickly that he had no contact with his family while in prison. And right off the bat, I'm thinking, my goodness, imagine Adonis put yourself at that place. You go to prison for what I'm sure was some uh, some false accusation, but you go there. You're there for four years, and. Uh you come back out like 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 say you went to prison in summer of 2016 and you're released <laughs> now <laughs> and you go around and you see like where is everyone? Like it's crazy. Is what is everyone inside or something? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. Like can you imagine just just emerging from, from, from four years in prison to see the world has completely changed even more so than four years would do under normal circumstances.
1: I would honestly be very, very shocked, I think, uh, to say the least, <laughs> uh, if I were to just come out and see the world. Yeah, especially given today, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I can only imagine what was going on through his head. He must have been, I mean, just the mental whiplash that... That man went through Yeah, uh, coming home. I could not imagine it.
0: Yeah. And he plays it out very well. He he hitches a ride with a truck driver. He says, I'm going a few miles over yonder or something like that. And says, uh, eventually, it comes up like, so you're going to ask if I was in jail, aren't you? As a matter of fact, I was. I don't know why I'm affecting Jack Nicholson for this, but I'm going to keep going with it. <laughs> so you're wondering if I was in jail, were you? Well, I was. And you want to know what for? And I love the way Henry Fonda delivers this this very specific line. It was for homicide.
1: Homicide. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like it's just it's little little uh, speech affectations like that uh, are are just just one little piece of the fun puzzle that is this movie. Uh, fun might oh, not yeah. be the right word, but it, you know what I'm saying. Like the the tapestry <laughs> of the grapes of wrath, that's just right. one extra little little uh, little uh, square of fabric added to the quilt of the grapes of wrath that I dearly love. <laughs> and so eventually uh, makes his way to where at least at the very least where home was. Uh, runs into like a disgrace priest along the way who just sort of lost the faith and it's it's at this point when it really dawns on him that there's been like something something happened something real bad happened uh and of course it's the great depression of course it was it's it's sort of uh of course we, neither of us were alive at the time but it's really insane how fast things went from such affluence to just uh, really, like it, it, the naming is so perfect to just a Great Depression, this nationwide uh, recession that the en- entire country went to. And of course, that was very relatable through 2020 eyes. Uh, eventually goes back home, finds it abandoned. Um, and uh, and I was sort of confused on this somehow just locates his family like they move somewhere else. He just sort of finds them. I forget if they explain that <laughs> or not. Uh, but regardless, he gets there and, uh, finds out like, yeah, this, uh, you know, it's, it's the dust bowl. The farmers are being sort of pushed out of their land very forcefully. We see in a flashback sequence, just a farmhouse just get literally bulldozed by this dicky guy who just decides to show up and say, Hey, it's part of the job. We're bulldozing farmhouses. What are you going to do? Um, (laughs) And of course, that is what happened was because um, the uh, the the land was just not producing enough crops and uh, to the point where farmers weren't really needed as much. And so rather than figure out some sort of, you know, logical way of going about that, they just sort of evicted them forcefully all from their land. And so begins the journey of the grapes of wrath in which the jodes this this huge family like you know multiple uh, generations lots of kids they all pack up their stuff on this car which in looking into like the uh uh details of the filming and stuff that car was not meant for like huge excursions across the country and to the point where uh you're you're looking at shots of this car just driving across the countryside and it's like just hanging on by a thread you could tell it's any at any second it could just crumble into scrap metal and every time they stop there's like steam billowing out of the front of the car and you're afraid that it's just gonna burst into flames and there's one part where they pull off the shoulder of the road and the car almost tips over (laughs) and it's really terrifying to watch and apparently that actually that was not supposed to happen so the the screams of terror that you hear are genuine in that scene um oh, man. but they make their way across the country because what they have is they have like this little flyer that they've gotten a hold of somehow that says we're in need of workers in california or however they say it uh mm-hmm. to to be doing this manual labor and they say listen it's the only lead we have so we might as well go out there now adonis at this point i want to know so so they're making their way across california what is like what is, what are, what are your thoughts at this point? Like is is it looking like maybe it's going to work out okay?
1: I might just be uh a tad bit pessimistic maybe. Mm. Um but at this point I was going, okay, so I can only expect the worst from here on out. Yeah. Because you see I mean, you see a movie like this based off the Great Depression and you see that they're they're kind of reaching their goal. Uh, which is to get to California, and you're looking at the runtime of the movie and just the <laughs> the general the, the general uh, air that the movie is presenting itself uh, with, and y- you just can't expect things to go too great. It's kind of like I don't want to like sidetrack too much, but it's it's sort of the opposite of how I felt when I watched Uncut Gems because <laughs> okay. that movie didn't give a mild spo- actually mild um huge spoilers. Uh, If you haven't seen Uncut Gems But there is a part Very close to the end of the movie Pretty much the end of the movie Where things look like they're finally looking up uh, for a character (laughs) and in just two seconds flat.
0: Oh goodness. Like a nanosecond. It takes all of, (laughs) it takes all of one frame for everything to go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that really, that surprised me because I I was like, okay, what we have five minutes left. Things are looking up. Things are fine. And the directors of that movie just went, Oh no, sorry. Uh, Things aren't going to go the way you think they are. Yeah. Um, so perhaps and maybe it's because I saw that movie, uh, I watched it just a little before seeing *Grapes of Wrath*. But my mind just went immediately to: I expect nothing but horrible <laughs> things for this family if they're if they're dreaming oh, even a goodness. little bit. I I expect nightmares to to manifest.
0: This is so why that's, that's
1: where my was.
0: This is why we have Adonis Gonzalez on the podcast. Never in a million years would I expect a comparison between uncut gems and the *Grapes of Wrath*. <laughs> to be clear. These movies are very different tonally, but I think oh, it's
1: extremely different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's an interesting comparison because yeah, it's um the thing with that movie is that for so much of it, it's just this panic attack. Like at every moment when things might go right, they actually go wrong. Um, and uh, uncut gems or uncut gems, uh, the grapes of wrath is not necessarily the opposite, but there is there's never. A definitive moment when like all hope is lost you know what i'm saying like even when right, things right. uh sort of take a turn for for worse not the worst but worse uh right. there's always a little bit of silver lining like well you know we could do this instead there's always this option um, which is especially weird considering that relatives die along the way. Like, so, like they just sort of die of natural causes. They lose both of their grandparents in the time it takes to drive from Oklahoma to California. Um, right. And uh, and and even still, they're like, listen, this is. This is literally the only pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We got to go there. And they stop at some uh, little encampment along the way, and they run into a guy who's been to California, who's who's seen the promised land, and says, um, like, you're not going to find what you're looking for out there. Believe me. I thought I went out there with the exact same starry look in my eyes, and listen, just just think about it logically. So we So he asks everyone at the encampment, like, you all have this exact same flyer that says they're looking for work. Do you really think you're going to get there before all the available positions are taken? And which makes a lot of sense because
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: I, they they only need there's only so much work to go around at a time like this, unfortunately. Um, but they're like, listen, we know it's it's one in a million, but we got to go for it anyway. Uh, right. And indeed, they do. And so, and uh, one thing I want to I want to draw attention to is just the way. Just the vast, endless landscape of this movie, especially in those early scenes that are set in Oklahoma, is so specific. And I can, I can think of very few other movies that achieve just such a desolate feeling to the landscape. Like, like it, you really get the sense just everything has sort of crumbled to the ground and it's just this level, withered, barren land that everyone's in at this point it, it really sells the the time period well and you got to remember this is the great depression is not a distant memory at this time this is like everyone anyone who's seen this movie except for like kids who got dragged to the theater for whatever reason uh and and even still they remember the great depression vividly and they might even still be uh reeling from the effects of it and so I can imagine how powerful this must have been to see like, wow, that was not long ago. Like, think about the year 2026. You know, there's going to be at least one movie about like right now. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be weird to watch it and be like, yeah, that was that was the worst, wasn't it? And uh, <laughs> hopefully by then we'll be better off. Fingers crossed. Oh, man. Everything crossed.
1: <laughs> the amount of Netflix originals about quarantine oh, I can already God. see on the horizon. The
0: Hallmark originals that are like quarantine romance are are going to be the most insufferable of all, which is why I plan to watch absolutely none of them. Um, <laughs> so don't send me a link. Not that anyone's going to send me a link. Um, I'll send you several links now. Adonis is going to send me a link. <laughs> a link to movie, to a movie that doesn't exist yet Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah so that that is one thing i uh and i want to think adana so uh i'm i'm not the best at remembering plots so they get to california and remind me exactly they run into uh like a police officer right 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 like so, like they see they they get to california they stop at like a gas station or something uh and uh and a police officer comes up and says like so where are you folks from uh and they go we're from oklahoma and he says oh wow and it turns out they're from like the same area of the country and so it says hey look at that this guy made it maybe we can too so there's a little glimmer of hope oh, and then they right. get to that's just right. this horribly depressing squalid uh work camp where yeah, they're like the starving oh. kids
1: yeah yeah um Funny, really funny. Okay, I'm not going to use the word funny. Um, yeah. Really depressing story. We
0: we, we we use that word, and usually what we mean is that it's just sort of an interesting footnote in things. It's not always necessarily humorous, I guess. It's
1: not like, haha, funny. It's more like, oh, wow, funny, you know? Yeah. Um, so, oh, I can't remember if it was the director or the producer. It was either – so, it was directed by John Ford, and it was produced yes. by – Daryl F. Zanuck.
0: Yeah, um, Zanuck, I believe, was the one who uh, who implemented what you're about to describe.
1: Yeah, I think it was. Um, so Zanuck sent, uh, uh, not spot, well, spies. Um, I'm I was going to say way, spies. <laughs> way cooler than it actually was. But he sent people to uh, very similar uh, immigrant or, or migrant campgrounds yeah. uh, just to see what it was like. On there, you know? Uh and if you've seen the Grapes of Wrath, then you know that these in the movie, these these campgrounds are just very depressing to look at. Uh, and it definitely strips you of any glimmer of hope you might have had in the previous scene. And it turns out that the conditions were actually way worse than in the book or in the uh in the film, and that Steinbeck had actually sugarcoated uh, how terrible they actually were, which yeah is uh, again if you've seen the movie is just is crazy to think about because I I I felt pretty depressed seeing it uh, in the movie so I can only imagine how bad it was in real life um, but yeah, yeah I, I definitely remember that scene I remember the campgrounds and that's that to me is when the movie starts getting uh uh in in its darkest because uh, pretty soon after that like uh, we lose you know the 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 preacher um, Casey his name was yes. yeah
0: yeah that's uh t- to think that this was toned down is really is uh really depressing to think about uh and indeed it was the great uh depression so <laughs> i suppose it's only fitting and yeah so so uh the the conditions are just horrible and um they eventually make their way to uh another migrant camp and it's so bad that like they get there they say we'll pay you this much per hour uh, and they're like all right we'll take what we can get whatever works they go into this little shanty that's got like just a, just a giant cobweb disguised as a house is basically what it is <laughs> like that's that's what they have to live in and then uh and then like moments later another family shows up of maybe not quite the same size but at least uh pretty close to the same size another family shows up and they're offered a smaller amount and they're like we cannot make a living off of that. What are you talking about? And so just to think that it was that tenuous, the the uh, the ability of anyone to to make a living at any given at any given time or place is um really sells the idea well. And uh, it's at this point where I start to get this weird uh, undercurrent from the movie. And Adonis, I'm curious if you thought the same thing. So the plot is about, how this family cannot find success out in, I guess, Oklahoma counts as the Midwest, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so.
0: Yeah. But regardless, the middle of the country, they can't find success out there. And the only place they can think to go is well, let's go to California to find success. Did it start to come off as like a weird show business metaphor to you?
1: Oh, like a (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, um, I mean, you got to look at the time the movie came out 1940s. That was, um, arguably that was like the big boom for Hollywood, right? Like it was around that time where it it was really becoming a household name. Yeah. Uh, and I think it definitely was a metaphor for, for escaping your reality and going to like the glossy magical world of Hollywood and getting there and realizing, Oh, this isn't, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Definitely um, not advertised. Yeah, <laughs> correctly. You know.
0: Yeah, you won't see this. You won't see like a migrant camp on like a stamp of California or anything. It's, it's not what they're. It's not what they're gonna advertise. They're gonna advertise like the hills and the beaches and all the all the beautiful nature and stuff. Um, but really, the the honest harsh truth, uh, harsh truth of it all is that. It's there's there's just so much so many people there that it's it's really and and they're not going away there. The number is always getting bigger. It's just getting thinner and thinner, the available amount of work. And I don't mean to get really pessimistic or anything, but I do think that is at least if not like a really super conscious uh, like subtext of this movie, I think it's at least there, and I think it's it's fascinating that it's uh something to be found in this story, which is ostensibly very much sort of fixated on one family. Um, oh
1: yeah, it, it it also it um oh how do, how do I want to say this? It it sort of uh shows you that even even though the the Joe family is the main family of the movie, the movie does a good job of of uh, explaining that. They're not the only ones who have had yeah. this specific situation happen. You know, there are other people, uh, even from Oklahoma, who their house has been bulldozed, their life oh, has yeah. been uprooted, and they have the exact same idea. So what is the big difference between this family and the Joe family? And there really is none. They're both going for the same thing. But like you said, it's it's uh, in terms of the Hollywood metaphor— uh, space out there is just getting thinner and thinner and thinner so even though we are following this family it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to turn out right for them
0: yeah and that and that moment i mentioned earlier where the the family shows up like if you arrive even seconds later then if someone else gets there even seconds before you do that could be it that could be your shot out the window and so uh i think it's interesting to to sort of view the movie through that lens um oh, yeah. i imagine i imagine subsequent viewings from now well that will only become clear um but yeah the the story goes apace, and i think it's i i think it's very interesting what you say um like what differs this family from another and really nothing and i think that's actually the the universality of it all is actually what kind of makes uh this story so engaging is that there's not like there's not some huge like I don't know how to how to describe it, but there's not the their bloodline is not a huge plot point like it just so happens right. to be focused on this family. So you really could imagine uh, yourself and and like your immediate loved ones in this scenario if you wanted to. And
1: right, right. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think that makes it very, very powerful that there's not some huge, like, you know, you're the emperor's granddaughter sort of nonsense going on in this thing. Um, right. It's not
1: like it's it, it would be a lot. It would be a very different movie if if. uh if Tom say knew somebody in California, like, yeah. Oh, I know this guy who can definitely get us like, cause then it's, he's got a, he's got an advantage over any other character in this movie. Right. But they're yeah. just, they're just a normal family from Oklahoma trying to make it big. Like everyone else. So I think it definitely helps, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like related relatability. That yeah. is a word. I'm actually not sure anymore.
0: <laughs> it is. I assure you, I assure you relatability is a word. Um, but yeah, the story keeps going and, um, Eventually what happens is that Tom goes off at night and finds out that there's like this little sort of uh, this little sort of encampment of like uh, radicals or rebels even um, who are sort of getting together. is essentially like a workers union, pretty much uh, like just a much less sophisticated one, like gathering in this tent offsite. And right. uh, and it, it, this is where he runs into preacher Casey again, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they say like, all right, listen, we're going to, we, we got to, We got to figure out how to how to get a better situation for us, because this is this is it might be working for one of us, but it's not working for all of us. And uh, that's when uh, that that's when the cops show up. Right. And sort of disrupt everything and say, like, hey, you trying to trying to build a better life for yourself. Knock that off.
1: (laughs) How dare you cut it out?
0: Which I'm going to say right now another another reason that makes that makes it all that all the more relevant is just how how evil the police force is shown to be that's something that i think we can we can all connect to nowadays wouldn't you say
1: oh yeah absolutely it's uh it's yeah it's it's very shocking how relevant it is um and a lot of it's uh i mean the, the the big underlying theme for me for the movie is uh you know a call for social justice and a call for a uh, reform, you know? And so yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that 80 years later, you can still watch this movie and go, Oh wow. Yeah. I've seen this situation before last, like last yeah. week. And it's like, I've, I've seen this right now.
0: It's crazy, <laughs> isn't
1: it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's definitely very notable that it certainly invites viewing nowadays. So once again, by all means, if you haven't seen this, uh, literally no better time than now. There's a lot of fitting stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why it makes it all the more powerful when, and we're skipping over stuff, but that we're just sort of generally going over the movie. Uh they they eventually they leave this horrible migrant camp. They say, listen, we we cannot make this work anymore. And they happen upon basically heaven. <laughs> I was so <laughs> I was so relieved when they find this other camp that just that just through sheer uh good-heartedness and uh the will to to treat everyone well they arrive at just this little this little rest stop that's really fantastic and the guy there is really nice and there's oh, this yeah. uh there's this very amusing shot where uh these these two kids of the family they can't be more than like 7 or 8 years old they go into like a little bathhouse and they see what's that shiny looking white thing over there? And they go over and it's a toilet and they flush it and they're scared and they run away. They have (laughs) never, they've never experienced running water before. And which is, uh, of course, accurate to the time. It wasn't that it was around that time when that kind of thing was invented. And surely a little farm family from Oklahoma, they would not, uh, they would not have access to the luxury of indoor plumbing or anything. Um, But yeah, that so that happens and they're not going to stay there like it's not they're not going to live there or anything. But just to know that there are places where, at least for a little while, everything is fine. That is I, I think that really adds a lot to the movie, especially given the trajectory of misery that we've been on this far.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah
0: oh gosh so 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 we're sort of winding down a little bit before we before we talk about the ending adonis i want to say is there any other uh are there any other things that we sort of uh skipped over along the way that you wanted to touch on briefly
1: um well no i think we really nailed it i mean i think we hit it uh yeah i mean like i said i might have been a little bit pessimistic going into some parts of this movie uh but i do think that the uh the the notion that that Henry Fonda went to jail for homicide was a little <laughs> hard for me to to get into at first, especially that gleaming smile he's got. Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that it was it was it's like uh, casting. I don't know. It's it's like casting. Uh, who's, who's it's like, like casting really? Tom
0: Hanks's jack the Ripper or
1: something. yes yes okay that's yes that's a very good it's, yeah like putting tom hanks in any role that isn't just the sweetest role you've ever seen yeah uh it's it's very difficult but um yeah i think it's a very relevant movie um i definitely think everyone should watch it it's it's weird how uh how praised it is yet not praised at the same time like you'll you'll mention it and people go oh yeah that's a really good movie but if you like it's hardly ever mentioned which is it's it's one of life's greatest mysteries to me at least Mm. how how ignored this movie is yet how popular and relevant it is at the same time yeah.
0: Yeah. Everyone who's seen it loved it. I, I've not yet met a person who has seen this movie and just thought nothing of it. So the, I think it's certainly uh, that speaks a lot for it. I believe if memory serves uh, and I might be this might have changed since uh, I believe it has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's that's not easy to get only a handful. of I movies not that. Oh, yeah. Um and it also again it was nominated for several Oscars. It's made it onto multiple um AFI uh, American Film Institute lists that they've constructed over the years. Um that is nothing to uh nothing to bat an eye at, so to speak. Right. Um but yeah, to sort of get to to sort of get to the ultimate conclusion of this movie is uh they leave this uh, this this Edenistic uh uh camp that they stop at and again they're just trying to find work wherever they can. Um, And Henry Fonda decides, you know, I like, I, I need to, I can't just do nothing. I have to make some change. And so, and just takes a vow right then and there. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of stick my neck out for whoever needs a neck stuck out for them, so to speak. Like I'm going to be the one who's there when someone needs help. And Watching that today again, that was very inspirational to see uh, how just someone have this realization that the world is not going to change unless we unless uh, we decide to really do something about it. And I think and the movie just ends right there. I think that's a very fascinating thing. Um, weirdly enough, I found out there was a proposed sequel, which really? was never there was never a book. John Steinbeck never wrote a sequel, nor did any any uh, other author, I believe. But the studio said, hey, we want to continue the story. We want to see where it goes. And for whatever reason, they just never went on to it. Weirdly enough, I I actually kind of want to see it. I wanna s I, I would love to see uh like, you know, the the many adventures of Tom Joad or whatever, just going out trying to trying to instigate a positive change in the world. Um But even as it is, I think again, it's very inspirational to see um this ending of I don't want to say outright optimism, but sort mm-hmm. of this—what's um, oh, the word I'm looking for? Not not a call to action, uh, uh, to, to action even, but just sort of this recognition that, yep, the world, a lot of the world sucks, and right. like it, it, again, not everyone can do something about it, uh, and that's that's uh, something that uh, a lot of people just have to deal with. But the ones who can. Uh, if they can, that's something very noble, and so I think again, it's very inspirational, and, and it's just one of the many incredibly powerful things in this movie that I was blown away with by uh, on this second viewing. And I know you're very much in the same boat. Uh, Adonis, oh, did yeah. you have what, what was what was your reaction to that ending? Just basically the same the same thing as mine.
1: Um, yeah, I definitely saw it as a uh, uh, a very inspirational thing. A, uh, a a yeah, a recognition that things can. A recognition that things are bad, but that maybe things can get a little better if we if we make a stand, if we make a difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was the best thing to do for Tom Jode's character, to sort of have him, I, not exactly a full 180, but just to sort of give him some, some purpose and direction. Yeah. And I don't know if I would want sequel. I think it would be interesting.
0: <laughs> the raspberries of wrath, or something. Just, it would just right. go through just the entire, the,
1: first, the entire spectrum, the right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I, it would be interesting to see uh, what he was up to afterwards. I think if it was done right, I wouldn't mind a sequel. Uh, I think yeah. it's probably a little, it's probably eighty years a little late for that. But you know what? A little bit. Franchises have started to come back out of nowhere. You know, we're getting another Bill and Ted, which. Yeah. I don't think anyone was expecting, but who knows? Maybe <laughs> I think the groups of R.A.F. 2 could come out 80 years after the first one.
0: <laughs> I think it's I think the moment has passed, but maybe just sort of maybe an abstract sequel. Like, did like, did the, you know, yeah. for instance, where, this, this is a little bit of a tangent, but did you know there was a sequel to Easy Rider in 2012? And it's one of the worst things I've oh, no. ever seen in my life because it's. Incredibly cheap, Uh, and it's—it's—I forget the exact details, but it was made by someone who just so happened to have the rights to Easy Rider for whatever reason. It might have been a relative of someone who worked on the movie, or something, or just who uh, came into this inheritance of the rights of this movie. But they're just screwing around for an hour and a half using like the names and stock footage from Easy Rider. So. That's not the way to go. And by the way, not recommending that movie by any stretch. It's there. There's bad, and then there's Easy Rider. The ride back, which is oh. next level, just nonsensical indulgence of the worst kind. So, oh, if it's anything the, like that, stay far away.
1: <laughs> the title itself just just bodes ill will. I yeah yeah. I won't be watching that.
0: I was I was I never thought I'd see the day where I brought up the grapes of wrath and Easy Rider the ride back in the same conversation. But you know what? That's why we do the extra milestone, uh, Adonis. I think that that's just about everything we have on the grapes of wrath. Unless and if if you remember anything else later, by all means, uh, feel free to bring it up. But for now, uh, let's move on to something really really different from the grapes of wrath. <laughs> Woo-hoo! We're gonna talk about. And, and this is an unusual one, because uh, when I said, Adonis, I, I would love to have you on this podcast, I sent you this big, long list of everything uh, celebrating an anniversary in the month of March. Again, a few months back at this point, but we're we're slowly catching up. Uh, I sent you a list and I said, which ones of these would you be interested in talking about? And you said some of the obvious ones, the Grapes of Wrath, of course, and uh, How to Train Your Dragon, we'll get to. But the other one, that you were the only one who even remotely expressed interest in terror of Mechagodzilla. Adonis, explain yourself.
1: Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) uh, If the the jury is listening, I will plead my case. It is. Uh, The reason I was so interested in this is because I have seen... Oh, I'm trying to think. I think I've seen maybe one, one Godzilla film that wasn't the 2014 uh, reboot or its mm. sequel. Mm. And for the longest time, I was always curious about why these movies were so revered. I mean, there's <laughs> there's revered
0: is a strong word, but
1: yeah. Well, why they're so. Uh, talked about you know why there's such sure. uh i mean because there there are very huge followings especially in japan i mean gojira as he's called there uh is is huge kaiju movies are huge uh and i'm not just talking about kaijus themselves um and so i really wanted to see i mean there, there's 15 movies in this franchise 15 oh, goodness.
0: That's, that's that's just the first wave of godzilla they're actually right, right. D- depending on how you count there's somewhere between like 36 and 39 godzilla movies oh. and i've seen every single one of them because last year i decided at the beginning of the year 2019 that by the time godzilla king of the monsters came out i wanted to have seen every single godzilla movie and listen It was not easy to do for a variety of reasons. I remember the (laughs) day I saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I had still not seen all of them. I was watching them as fast as I possibly could, like in parking lots, at drive-thrus, inside of restaurants and stuff. Like if there was a connection, you know, let's, let's get another five minutes in of this Godzilla movie. It was intense. And then that, but I got there, by God, that night when I saw... Godzilla King of the Monsters with John Negroni. Some of you might remember I reviewed that movie uh, live at John's house, which is what w- just one of the defining uh, experiences of my life. Um, <laughs> I did it, goddamn it, and I and I will never pass up an opportunity to get to to get to vaunt my semi expertise. Because um, I, I I say semi because. Uh, there are others who have seen these movies many more times than I have and are more intimately familiar, but I have seen them all. And I think I take great pride in that. And I was especially uh, excited to talk about Terror of Mechagodzilla because that just happens to be one of my favorites. Man has constructed a technological terror so extreme nothing can stand before it. Mecha Godzilla. Can Godzilla prevail against his mechanical clone? Now, Adonis, real fast before I move on any further, you watched *Terror of Mechagodzilla*, having only seen one other non-American Godzilla movie. What did what did you make of this movie? Tell tell the listeners.
1: Well, first off, I was not expecting there to be um, existing plot. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> my my uh, interpretation not, that's not the word. Uh, my thoughts on the the gods of the movies. What I thought they were were. Um, 30 to to 40 random godzilla it it seemed like monster of the week but in movie form Mm. i thought maybe you know godzilla's just gonna fight somebody and then that's it um i was not expecting this to be a direct sequel to a previous mecha godzilla
0: yeah but
1: i I caught on pretty quick you know mecha godzilla attacked the town godzilla stopped him still iffy on on whether or not godzilla's the bad guy because i kind of feel like I feel like he's just minding his business, right? And it just kind of seems like the humans are always like poking and prodding, and then they go and make uh, a robotic version of him. Yeah, uh, I was not. I was not expecting there to be an alien subplot. Um, there was a lot I was not expecting in this movie, and that I think that's why I enjoyed it so much is that it just blew my uh, my expectations out of the water. Um, yes, Very I was expecting fitting. to just see two hours of. Uh, corny but admittedly fun to watch fighting and the movie started off like that you know it starts with uh, a bit of a recap i'm assuming yeah. of godzilla fighting mecha godzilla and godzilla just absolutely <laughs> oh i <laughs> the new new godzilla is terrifying right i love new godzilla the american godzilla i mean uh i yeah. love uh how he looks i love the audio quality i love his his blue laser breath but old godzilla is just on another level he (laughs) he has he he gets into a fighting stance and like he has this this hype roar that he gets into that i can only imagine is just for himself it's him going all right you can do this g um i imagine godzilla calls himself g uh and oh sorry i just completely lost my train of thought
0: (laughs) as it as the the makers of these godzilla movies tend to do as well sometimes you are
1: Yeah, but um yeah, that's that was my uh experience going into this movie. I went, okay, you know, it's exactly what I was expecting it to be, and then immediately <laughs> just just went as left field as you could possibly go. And I I was really invested in it. I was invested in the human characters, the aliens, yeah. uh even Godzilla himself. It's it now it's nowhere near a perfect movie, but it's a very, very interesting subgenre of film that I had never seen before and so i definitely want to go back and watch the rest of them uh if they're anything like this because it's 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 very different
0: everything you've just that you just said is utterly fascinating to me i think it's occurring to me now that this must be one of the weirdest ones to start on because actually (laughs) to answer your question terror of mechagodzilla is not like other godzilla movies so Mm. adonis if i may uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the history of Godzilla because when else am I going to get to do that? So it was the <laughs> the first movie Gojira was a very serious, very somber movie. It was of course a sort of a sort of a a reaction to yes, the nuclear bomb, but also just sort of the notion of nuclear warfare in the first place. Um, and as a result, it's a very very downtrodden movie. Uh, the mm-hmm. original, I should say, and also happens to be really fantastic and to and to this day i still believe that the 1954 original directed as well by ishiro honda uh is still the greatest of all godzilla movies and then the very next year godzilla raids again came out now uh, now i'm not going to necessarily give away what what happens at the end of the first godzilla movie but this is what i will say the Godzilla that shows up in Godzilla raids again is not the same monster that we see in the original. Uh, mm. I, I, if memory serves, the costume is somewhat different and it's just, it's just a completely other, uh, member of the same species. And it's that second member of the species that we follow for the next 14 movies. Uh, now the interesting thing that mm. happens is that in that second movie, Godzilla raids again, Godzilla is still the villain. Uh, in in that one, he fights a dinosaur called Angiris, which is like this big sort of dinosaur, kind of ankylosaurus kind of thing. And they're both the villains. Like it's what it's it's like alien versus predator. Whoever wins, we lose. Like they want both of them to die, pretty much, um, right? Because they're both these huge forces of nature, like threatening uh, all of human civilization as we know it. So that movie happened and it was a weird departure because it was a lot campier than the first one. It was in the first one, it was just Godzilla. There was no second monster to face off against. And in the second one, when they introduced a second one, it became more like a fight movie and less of a, of, of a real comment on anything. It's almost in a really cynical way. You could look at it on just sort of a, just sort of one of those cash in sequels made really quickly after the original, uh, just, after something hits a sudden uh, a surge in popularity. And indeed, it's uh, it was from a different director. Ishiro Honda did not direct Godzilla Raids again. And so it's it's easy to see how that may very well be the case. And then interesting thing is that Godzilla did not have another movie for seven years. It wasn't until oh. a random resurgence in the popularity of King Kong in Japan that Godzilla got a third movie. If it weren't for King Kong... We may never have had a Godzilla franchise. It might have just sort of died on the vine right there. Um, but the G- King Kong, for whatever reason, just got really popular in the early 60s. And they thought, hey, let's face King Kong off against Godzilla. Uh, and indeed, King Kong wins, which, is, which always baffles everyone that King Kong wins in that original mo- uh, movie, considering that it's a Japanese movie and that the American monster – Uh, wins the fight at the end which is absolute nonsense by the way because the way that king kong wins is that they have a fight underwater they both like tumble off a cliff wrestling each other they go underwater and then only king kong comes back up and swims away like as if it wasn't stupid enough that godzilla doesn't win that fight immediately it's in godzilla's (laughs) territory and so that always that always kind of drove me nuts.
1: Um, it was on his home court, and he's so lost.
0: Exactly. Uh, th- their their theories have been posited that like they I guess they just had a chat underwater over the span of ten seconds and just said <laughs> this is stupid. What are we doing? And Godzilla just stayed underwater, but it just looks like King Kong. One, we'll never know. But regardless, they
1: about-
0: yeah, yeah. And that one and uh, and uh, King Kong versus Godzilla that was the first one in color, and so it actually any any real sense of uh of like seriousness or somberness or anything was all but gone away um <laughs> and so and i think and and there is still like drama in it like i actually uh for all the just weird nonsense and i actually like king kong versus godzilla quite a bit uh because i think they really the build-up in that movie is especially good um And so I hope they I hope they're able to capture at least a little bit of that in the uh, upcoming remake of that. But that is for another time. Uh, But from there, it spun off into what is very much known as uh, or perceived as the heyday of Godzilla. It's what these first 15 movies are. What's called the Showa era? And from King Kong versus Godzilla on, it was very much what you're describing, just sort of this episodic monster or perhaps even monsters of the week kind of thing. There was very little continuity. One movie in particular always baffles me. The way it starts is that for whatever reason, Godzilla at the beginning of the movie is just encased in a mountain at the beginning, and they have to awaken Godzilla with lightning to fight a giant lobster monster. And the, and the movie before that did not end with Godzilla getting buried in an avalanche or something. So how he got in that mountain, we may never know. Uh, but it's just, it it was, it's just one of those things where, uh, Godzilla just sort of, just sort of a part of life as are the rest of these giant monsters. And, and they had a recurring characters like, uh, King Ghidorah and Mothra and Rodan, all the classics. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
1: So I have to ask, um, I did a little bit of research uh after watching Terra Godzilla just so we could talk about like the the franchise. Um, did you ever watch uh any of the other like Kaiju movies? Because I, I didn't know my experience with Godzilla has just been seeing the new movies, seeing Terra Godzilla and and seeing the uh the um oh was it Michael J. Fox? I think it was, right? He was in that one. The uh and Michael the J. Fox? Movie.
0: You're talking about the American with Godzilla with Matthew Broderick in it?
1: Matthew Broderick, yes. Thank you. Gosh. Um, that movie sent
0: I, shivers down my spine. It's terrible. Look at all these fish.
1: <laughs> That's a lot of fish. That's what Classic. it was. Um, and I played a couple of the video games. Like I said, I had seen one of the original Toho anime, Tohoa production movies, but I can't remember which one. Hmm. Uh, but I didn't know that a few of the monsters that Godzilla faces have their own movies. Oh, yes. Like Mothra apparently has uh, a trilogy of movies. Um, and so I wanted to ask you if you ever saw them or if you were ever planning on watching these sort of not spinoffs, but these these other kaiju films within the Godzilla universe.
0: I was very thorough in my in my Godzilla watch through. And yes, I have. Um And it's actually and they're not even spinoffs because they were uh, Rodan and Mothra specifically were introduced in other movies before they showed up in Godzilla movies. They were they Mm -hmm. were uh, they were their own thing. Um, The movie Rodan, I actually really love. And it's one of my favorite kaiju movies. The the Mothra solo movie is not especially great, but it's uh, it's fun for what it is and and is a good introduction to the character uh the mothra trilogy is not worth your time whatsoever so i do not recommend <laughs> that. that that was from the late 90s um and uh yeah that i I found very little of you of uh of worth there it is it's made for kids so it's very does just barely has an idea in its head and it shows uh that one you can skip very easily but mothra the solo movie uh i do recommend checking out just just if nothing else just to get a full bore uh, exposition load of what Mothra the character is all about. That is that is a useful thing. Um, but yeah, all these monsters started showing up, uh, and uh, and they started becoming very popular in in uh, America as well as Japan. And one one uh, very funny piece of trivia that I always love to think about is in I believe the third yes the third to last uh, movie of the Showa era. These these first 15 uh, uh, Godzilla movies calls was called Godzilla versus Megalon and Megalon's like this big undersea cockroach thing. And on the poster on the American poster if from uh, 1976, I believe, um, a couple of years after it was released in Japan, it's Godzilla and Megalon, the giant beetle, each standing on one of the former world trade towers. That's not in the movie. They just made that up and threw it on the poster because they thought it would sell a few extra tickets to to trick someone into thinking that there was going to be an epic fight scene on top of the World Trade Towers. Alas, that did not happen. Although it did happen uh, that very same year in the, in the uh, King Kong remake from 1976, which is also quite bad. I also don't recommend that one. <laughs> But King Kong it, the the climactic uh, action sequence does take place on the world trade towers but uh, to sort of catch up to terror of Mecha Godzilla where we are now um, it sort of peaked in like the early 70s the the sort of super uber population of Godzilla and so the uh, the franchise was kind of winding down. They had already planned to end it in the late 60s with a movie called Destroy all Monsters which is quite good. Um, hmm. And then that one was immediately followed by all monsters attacked, which is the worst Godzilla movie, hands down, <laughs> even worse than the, than the Matthew Broderick one. Not by a lot. I grant you, but still quite bad. So that one is, that one is also not worth your time. Um, I have, I have detailed reviews of every one of these on my letterbox account, by the way. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was sort of winding down. And so they had, they introduced Mechagodzilla, this big giant robot, uh, version of Godzilla and the funny thing you mentioned that humans built Mech- uh, Godzilla. nope Mechagodzilla is an alien showed up from outer space uh, built by aliens and was a- a- originally disguised as the actual Godzilla who by this point had oh. sort of become the hero in a weird sort of like 180 from the original uh, how Godzilla was the villain in the original and the first couple um, okay. and uh, yeah, God, Mecha Godzilla showed up with like this fake Godzilla tissue that melted off, and someone saw like metal underneath and said, "Wait a minute, that's not Godzilla, that's a Mecha Godzilla." <laughs> Roll credits, like that's basically the way it works out. Uh, and uh, and eventually Godzilla defeated Mecha Godzilla. You know, Bob's your uncle. It worked out. So by the time we get to Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Godzilla is sort of has has already become the worldwide icon that he is now. um, and to the point where as i was i was as I was marathoning all of these last year, I got to this one, and I was sort of worn down a little bit. I don't know if anyone out there listening has marathoned all of these in the span of a couple of months. You can tell. They were. Uh, they did not pour every ounce of their heart and soul into every one of these movies. They were. They were from from 1962 until 1975. They were cranked out on a very consistent basis. They were with with the exception of 1970. There was one a year, and that was made up for by, by the fact that in 1964 there were two of them. So they really cranked huh. these things out, and you can tell because uh, they don't always. They're they're not all classics i think there are a few of them uh in that era especially that really stand out in my memory and terror of mechagodzilla is one of them because we get to this movie and we have like these like they're trying to dig up the remnants of mechagodzilla and they accidentally awaken the titanosaurus which i found out is which is just like this big goofy looking red dinosaur which is apparently (laughs) they it was originally going to be two dinosaurs but they sort of combined them into one just to save time and money, apparently, hmm. uh, or just or just willpower or whatever. And they awaken Titanosaurus. They awaken Mechagodzilla. They're like, oh gosh, it's what are we gonna do? They're teaming up. They're attacking. Everything is doomed. And these are not long movies. Keep that in mind. But it's it's like what is it eighty minutes long? You watch it more recently, and I did. It's
1: something like that, right? Something about, yeah. It's not too long.
0: Yeah, it's th- these movies had no, they had very little, they had very few illusions about right. uh, the portent that they were carrying. So they were usually pretty short, um, but it's looking pretty hopeless. And it's at this point, it's about 40 minutes in. I'm realizing Godzilla hasn't shown up yet. It's almost like it, it, it's almost uh, they've they've briefly mentioned Godzilla in passing once before, but that was about it. And then they're attacking the city. They're they're uh, trying to evacuate as many people as we can. And then in one of my favorite moments in quite possibly all of cinema, it's panning along the horizon. We do, like we've we've established that Godzilla wants nothing to do with us. He kind of hates humanity. At, by this point in the series, we're doomed. And then it's panning across the skyline, and we see. Rise up from behind a building, the silhouette of Godzilla's head. (laughs) And I am not kidding when I tell you that when I first watched this last year in like April or whatever it was, I think I cried literal tears of joy when it cuts (laughs) to the Titanosaurus just get blasted with this beam of fire. And then it cuts back to the silhouette of Godzilla, closes up on his face, and they made the puppet glare. Like that's how much they cared. They they wanted to show us that Godzilla is always here for us and will and will save the day even if it's at the last second and then the Godzilla theme starts playing and it's just a photo finish from there like n- oh, neither yeah. the Titanosaurus or the or Mecha Godzilla have a chance and what ensues is this is this cool fight that I remember very few details of but that just the high of that intro was all I really needed.
1: I remember. Um, uh... I remember watching the fight and just thinking it was really, really cool that um, that Godzilla almost steps back a bit just to see. Yeah. Like, because, because, uh, you know, he's doing it just to get just so that uh, he can strike when Godzilla gets tired. And I thought that was such an interesting uh, thing to do because, you know, you would expect them to just like it, it's to be like this three way fight between these huge monsters. But like there's a little bit of strategy in there. Uh, and i thought that was that definitely raised the stakes a bit when i was watching it yeah
0: yeah it's 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 a huge fight where like you know the day is saved but we're going to have to we, we got to punch some dinosaurs and some robots first and so it all goes down and we're and meanwhile we're following these human characters that have uh th- th- they have a vague plot line i couldn't i could not tell you what their deal is to say Oh my life. Yeah. Adonis, what is what is the deal with these human characters because as we all know Human characters not always the strength of a Godzilla movie.
1: No, definitely not always. Um they were interesting, but um I really enjoyed the uh, so so pretty much there's this one character who works for this this team of scientists who I believe are trying to understand Godzilla or 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 capture him or something. Uh, hmm. and they're also worried that Mecha Godzilla is going to return. Uh, all the while, um, one of their submarines is attacked by Titanosaurus. Uh, yes. so now there's an even bigger problem to worry about. Uh, yeah. so they, ha- they, um, they tasked this one scientist with, uh, with investigating the research of this, the science, this older scientist who was ridiculed for his, his theories on talking to animals or controlling animals, something like that. Uh, and he goes to the estate uh, and he asks the, this, this scientist's daughter if he could speak to him. And she's like, oh, well, he passed away a few years ago, which we, like, which we very soon after find out is a lie. Uh, and so there's this romantic subplot between the head scientist and the daughter of the older scientist who is also still ah, alive. oh yes. And the working... romantic subplot. yeah, Never
0: far from a Godzilla movie.
1: Never. Um and, and the older scientist is working with the aliens, who I didn't realize were aliens at first because they don't look like aliens. They look like normal people.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the funny thing about Godzilla aliens, especially in these early movies. They're just humans in shiny silver
1: suits. <laughs> yes, in just shiny suits. Um, <laughs> and and the aliens recreate Godzilla, which I, I, I didn't catch until you mentioned. Uh, I thought that they were just here to to invade the earth and they saw Mechagodzilla and they were like, Oh, we can use that. But I guess yeah. they were the original creators. I'm like, I didn't realize he was an alien. Yes. Um, and they this also, is what
0: awaits you. If you dive into the Godzilla filmography, Adonis,
1: I think I'm going to, because like I said, this is a very interesting and a uh, unique movie experience for me. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think part of the
0: reason why I love this one, especially so much is because of how, into it I had gotten this far. Like this is 14 movies plus all those other, uh, you know, side movies, you know, and Rodan, and a few others that are sort of tangentially connected. Right. Uh, I got really into this world. And so to see it get sent off, it's like knowing that this was the last one of this, uh, of this Showa era of this first era that is really sort of, um, that's really classified more than anything by just, the campy monstrousness of it all. Right. Like other other eras have sort of gone out of their way to to distinguish themselves in other ways. Like the Heisei era which came directly after this um or not directly, but was the was the second era of Godzilla, that one was more about sort of repurposing the characters that had already been introduced, trying to make them a little bit more dramatic, more effective, trying to tell a longer uh story over multiple uh, installments and i say to great effect as a matter of fact the heisei era is actually my favorite era of godzilla and mm-hmm. then after that they had the millennium era which um was a little bit more of a of a serialized thing where e- where each one did not connect to like none of them connected to each other with the exception of like one two-parter i think uh, but they were all meant to sort of stand on their own and and that was that was sort of what set that one apart. And of course, now we have the monster verse, which is all about uh, sort of telling this interconnected universe that's take that's taken place over decades, if not centuries of time right. and uh, getting all the monsters involved in everything. This one was just sort of about, hey, what monster costume can we make this time? <laughs> yeah, and well- that's kind of as far as it went. and it, And it worked out nicely for what it was. On multiple occasions, I think uh, Invasion of Astro Monster is one of my favorites. Ghidorah, the Three a Monster, is another good one. Um, Destroy All Monsters is fine. I think I think Son of Godzilla is terrible. I think All Monsters Attack is terrible. So it sort of it ran hot and cold this first era. But by the time you get to the end of it, if you watch them all in order like I do, and you just see that head pop up over the horizon. I cannot, I cannot describe the joy I felt, and I showed that scene out of context to a few of my friends, and even they said they got chills. So like, whoa, this is, this is some powerful stuff. And then Godzilla just defeats the monsters handily, and then walks back into the ocean. It's this beautiful sunset, and the credits roll, and it's like, yes, that is Mother effing Godzilla in a nutshell, <laughs> right there. Like that, th- this is kind of where this vision of godzilla as a badass i feel like this is where it kind of comes from you know what i'm saying right. like this is uh, this is where it all begins to t- so to to hear that you had such a positive reaction even without all the all the grandfathered in affection for it that's very meaningful to me i think uh, we've we've gone on a long time about godzilla but adonis i just want to ask is there is there anything else of note that uh that you wanted to bring up about terror of mechagodzilla besides obviously uh the the inclination to want to dive further into the (laughs) world of godzilla
1: um i just want to say i really feel like uh people should leave godzilla alone just a bit it kind of (laughs) seems from what i've experienced with this movie and the newer movies it kind of seems like uh he's just trying to relax underwater i don't know if he's got maybe an apartment under there and he's just, he's, it always seems like he's hes just well, we about found to sit out, down.
0: We found out that Godzilla lives in Atlantis in the newest one. So I think, oh,
1: that's they, right. Maybe,
0: maybe Godzilla just wants to chill in Atlantis with all the corpses of atlanteans from, decade, yeah, you know, from maybe, generations past
1: maybe he's got a show that he's watching and you know he's just about to press play and every time he does he hears that <laughs> that guttural <laughs> scream and 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 just the sound of burning buildings and he's just like uh oh, well here we go yeah. again
0: um, <laughs> it's like the Incredibles. It's like I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for ten minutes?
1: Every time. <laughs> I could I it, oh, and that's another thing too. Uh, you mentioned that they had the, the Godzilla puppet glare. I really love the yeah. emotion they give Godzilla because you can definitely just in this movie alone, I could definitely see when he was just absolutely fed up with Mecha Godzilla. Yes. Um when that movie started and they were fighting and uh I think he knocked he knocked uh uh, Mechagodzilla, not Godzilla, away from him, and he just went flying um, in a very <laughs> funny scene. <laughs> that kind of just yeah. seemed like the they had lost control of the puppet, and the wind was taking it to wherever. Uh, and he gets back up, and he just he just lets out a roar, which I translated as "Are you serious?
0: Yeah, um, like really? That's the move you're gonna try? <laughs> Come on,
1: yeah." How many monsters yeah. have I destroyed? Come on, Mecha Godzilla!
0: Quite a few by this point. So I think it's fair to say that that Godzilla had uh, had had some practice, oh, whereas Mecha for sure. Godzilla is a veteran at all times. You you always just get that sense that Godzilla just never just never wants to be there, but knows that he sort of has to. Like, right. listen. It's it's almost like Mission Impossible Fallout where they have that realization like, listen, no one but us is going to save the world and it's going to be the most difficult thing we've ever done, but we have to do it because right. no one else will. Fascinating stuff. I I really dig this movie. It's one of my very favorite Godzilla movies. Uh, not because of the plot. I don't care about the plot. I don't care about what the you know the 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 scientists tried to figure out. Oh, what is Mechagodzilla? No, it's because this movie more than possibly any other Godzilla movie. It, it, even uh, even the 2014 one, which I actually really love. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably my second favorite Godzilla movie, but even more so than that, it just understands the essence of how the world views Godzilla, even if it's not necessarily the same as how the character was first uh, conceived. So right. I think it's one of the very best for that reason. And I'm glad that you liked it. So I hope I can't wait to hear uh, your reactions to the rest of this glorious uh Hot and cold series of movies that we have here with Godzilla, <laughs> and yeah, yeah and I and I look forward to the inevitable podcast where we review every Godzilla movie one at a time. That'll be a, oh, that'll be wait. a lot of fun.
1: I cannot yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah,
0: we we might actually do that. Who knows? But yeah, Adonis, we have one more movie to talk about, and I suspect we won't be we won't spend nearly as much time on this one. Um, but it is worthwhile nonetheless. If you if you listen, you of course know that we are talking about. Uh, the now, I think it's fair to say it's a classic at this point. Oh, yeah. DreamWorks's *How to Train Your Dragon*.
1: Welcome to Dragon Training. Today you will learn to fight dragons. Pain. Love it. Let's get started. You should come by some
0: time to work out. You look like you work out. Oh! Yeah. I guess it's just you and me, huh?
1: No, just you. Huh?
0: Focus, Hiccup! Can I transfer to the class with the cool Vikings?
1: (laughs) Whoa. Has anyone ever tried to train a dragon? No one's ever left to tail the tail. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you.
0: Let's see if this works. We're going to take this
1: nice and slow. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Yeah!
0: Get down. It's okay. You just scared him.
1: I scared him.
0: Everything we know about them is wrong. Let me show you. Which is a movie that came out uh 10 years ago now which is crazy to think about and uh i i i have a a story about first seeing this but Donis, i want to ask you uh we're we're roughly the same age right like you're like a year or two older than me so we probably had very similar experiences seeing this for the first time what how did you first come to how to train your dragon way back in the far off year of 2010
1: oh all right well let me paint the let me paint the picture just a little bit paint the scene it's 2010 a young 12 yes. year old adonis uh is going to see the movies every friday night uh with his father you know the typical friday movie night uh there's not a lot out at this point uh oh, yeah. sorry it's
0: no. march of 2010 what are you gonna expect
1: <laughs> right you know there's probably your average uh january to march horror movie that's out um, I, yeah,
0: hey, you know what? Let me. I'm gonna look up what came out. What was out in March of 2010? You keep talking, and I'll and I'll figure it okay. out. Okay.
1: So yeah, um, we're going to the movies, and we're seeing. We're we're deciding what we're gonna watch. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing out that really catches our eye, uh, except for one poster. Because uh, I hadn't seen the trailer, so all I saw was the poster for this new movie from DreamWorks called how to train your dragon. And it was it was that little Dreamworks, that very tiny Dreamworks uh right above the huge red bolded Dragon 3D that um yeah. that uh <laughs> that caught my attention and I was like, "Dad, dad, we have to see this movie. We have no idea what it's yeah. about, but it's got, you know, everything I love. It's got Dreamworks. They made Shrek and Kung Fu Panda, so at this point I was very much a Dreamworks fanboy. Uh, it's got dragons what little little kid doesn't like dragons uh and from what i can see it's very educational so that i mean that's that one's for you dad you know (laughs) take me to see this movie and i might just learn something out of it uh i mean we have this dragon (laughs) and we're trying to trade it but we don't know
0: how to (laughs) all we can do is go up hey shh 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 why do people always do that? Why do they shush animals? Sorry, weird John Mulaney tangent. Okay, uh, Adonis, I want to. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh Let me let me tell you what else was playing in March of 2010 so right. at the Cineplexes of the time. March 5th, we had Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Oh wow, remember that? I do. Yeah, so that do was that was a thing actually. that made it that made a ton of money. But interesting, I actually haven't seen it. So uh, so who knows? And then. Uh, let's see. We had Paul Greengrass's Green Zone. I've never even heard of this. I have no idea what it
1: is. No idea what that is either.
0: Then we have She's Out of My League, mm-hmm. which I imagine was probably a little a little out of your twelve year old league, so to speak. For sure. Yes, and then the the week before How to Train Your Dragon, get this Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh. <laughs> Remember that? I do. That, those were the days. were they?
1: To think those came out in the same month, just a week apart yeah. from each other.
0: Just a week apart and the same day as How to Train Your Dragon, Hot Tub Time Machine came out. Again, I'm going to assume that was not the that was not in the uh Not in the rotation, not in the 12-year-old Adonis rotation.
1: That was, I'm not going to lie, that was probably the movie my dad was hoping to see. (laughs) But unfortunately, uh, I can't imagine he would have have allowed me to see it with him. Um, Yeah. But so we saw How to Train Your Dragon in theaters uh, opening week. And to this day, it is not only my favorite DreamWorks movie, uh, one of my favorite animated movies of all time uh it was it 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 was unexpected um it wasn't something i had ever experienced before uh in an animated movie because it 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 is an animated comedy uh, animated family action adventure comedy but it's very grounded in reality and i think that's why it has lasted so long uh at least at, at least in my opinion
0: yeah yeah, that's fascinating. I think I think you make a lot of interesting points. Um, I saw How to Train Your Dragon the first time in a, on a field trip for school. I think it was 2010. So I would have been in I would have been in fifth grade. And that was our reward for everyone who did well in school is we'd walk down to the movie theater, which was which was a Within walking distance of my elementary school and uh, just see whatever animated movie happened to be playing. And Mm. we were lucky enough to have the pleasure of getting to see How to Train Your Dragon. Now, weirdly enough, I do not actually I don't remember reacting, especially vitriolically when I first saw it. It wasn't until uh, last year, in fact, when How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World came out and I had never seen the second one and it had been almost a decade since I'd seen the first one, I decided to rewatch all three of them or uh, rather watch all three of them. And I was, I I knew the legacy it had had, but I had just never gone back to see it with fresh eyes. And so going back to see it again, I was like, Oh, so this is fantastic. (laughs) Everyone was right. I was amazed by it. It was so, it's, it's such an immersive world that it creates. And I think, and uh, especially, and this this is the main thing that I took away from it. It's for those of you who have seen like a photograph of me or something, you'll know I'm not the most muscular man there is. Adonis, I'm sure you know this. Uh, I am I'm actually I'm actually rather rather lean and rather tall. I'm six foot five and uh, and uh, and do not have a whole lot of muscle or anything. But seeing that Hiccup, the main character in this movie voiced by Jay Baruchel. Uh that's kind of the arc he goes on is that all these all these viking youth are like really big and burly and strong and his dad is voiced by Gerard Butler, which I can imagine would just be would just be the most intimidating thing ever to look like Hiccup and have a dad like that. <laughs> um which by the way, it's it's always weirded me out that the the adult Vikings are Scottish, and all the kids are American. Like it's just so strange. Oh, I never. It, oh yeah. The inconsistency of the accent. You got Gerard Butler and Craig Ferguson voicing the two main adult characters, arguably the two most Scottish men on the planet, and then you have like Jay Baruchel and America Ferrera voicing the the. <laughs> the main child characters it's just a weird detail it's vaguely distracting but you get over it pretty quick regardless seeing hiccup sort of have to go on this journey to prove himself that physical strength is not uh, very often at, le- at the very least not always sort of the defining factor of a man and i think it's i'm I'm actually kind of amazed that I didn't take more away from that as a as a young eleven year old who who uh, it seemed like that the kind of thing I could have used or maybe a little further down the line from there. But regardless, it was really powerful to see that. and I really latched onto that in addition to just how gorgeous it looks. Like this movie is ten years old, which is crazy to think about. It's ten years old, and it still looks fantastic. It's still obviously the sequels the animation improved a little bit, but you could still watch this now and, and you will not be distracted by how aged the effects are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, that movie it's for that reason, I actually don't have a whole lot more to say about how to train your dragon, except to say that, uh, it's, it just goes to show how much, Uh, heart and soul went into this movie more than pretty much any other DreamWorks movie. They have other good ones, but I'm looking through the list now. I'm not seeing anything that really competes with How to Train Your Dragon when it comes to uh, DreamWorks productions. Of course, the Shrek movies and uh, various others um, have, have made a stamp of their own, but this is the one that I think really showed what the studio can do. And so I think it's it's uh, well revered for good reason to this day. So oh, for sure. I really dig *How to Train Your Dragon*.
1: I agree. Um, I did want to. I wanted to lay a little trivia down that I that I learned about uh, revisiting this movie. Um, yeah. So, firstly, it was directed by. Uh, oh God, I'm going to butcher butcher one of these names. Uh, well, directed by mm-hmm. Chris Sanders and Dean DeBlois, Debloy.
0: Yeah, Dean Debloy or DeBlah, I think.
1: DeBlois. Blah. Let me look
0: that
1: up. Um, directed by this duo. Uh, they had previously directed Lilo and Stitch, which is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Mm. Uh, just a lot of great memories growing up with that one. I've seen it countless times. Um, and they actually... So, How to Train Your Dragon is based off a book series. I've never read them, but um, they made a few... Uh, they took a few liberties making the movie. They made a few notable yeah. changes. And one of the big changes is the relationship between the humans and the dragons in the book. They're already at that point where dragons are sort of, uh, companions to humans, kind of a, a cowboy and horse type of relationship. Mm. Um, in the movie though, it doesn't start off like that in the movie. They're, they're rivals and there's this, this war going on between dragons and Vikings and Vikings, uh, they they capture dragons and have them for like these arena matches and stuff but there's it's not like a uh it's not a mutual existence sort of thing just yet. yeah yeah uh and they started it off like that because they wanted to they they really wanted to uh to um they wanted to show how powerful they wanted to make an impact with the uh The story and they wanted to get to that point where the dragons and the humans work together and they wanted to show the journey and they chose um, Hiccup and uh, Toothless and made changes to them like Hiccup is significantly uh, I mean even in the book. He's he's a very scrawny weak character, but they really play that into the movie uh, and they changed uh, Toothless entirely toothless in the book is a small dragon that's very salamander-like and actually fits on Hiccup's shoulders, and so he doesn't ride him because he's he's way too small. But they changed uh, Toothless to a Night Fury in the movie because they just felt that was the complete polar opposite of what they were trying to go for with Hiccup. And so they chose the weakest, uh, scrawniest character in the movie and paired him up with a a, a dragon that could potentially end his life in like seconds yeah. if he It'd swallow him a whole right probably. yeah if he wanted to and i always thought that was interesting like it was a very interesting uh storytelling choice because it, it i mean it works like you definitely see the uh the contrasting main characters and it definitely plays into the story uh of the first movie and the franchise as a whole so yeah i just thought that was a very interesting uh little director's note that i wanted to mention
0: yeah, that is interesting. I, I I vaguely remember hearing about this source material that evidently is is more of a loose inspiration than like an actual basis for the story. Right. Um, but yeah, it is it is interesting how they sort of take that tack of we have not yet achieved harmony in nature with these creatures, sort of showing how it got there. And then what? And then what I love about the sequels is that it's not just like okay, we've We've made friends with the dragons, and now something else happens the next day. Like, it actually takes place kind of in real time, really. It was the the uh, the three How to Train Your Dragon movies. They were released over the span of the 2010s, and we see the characters age and sort of encounter new challenges that don't just seem like perfunctory, oh, we're making something up because we got to make a sequel these are actually things that would arise naturally if such a such a fantastical world were to exist so i think the whole trilogy is really an accomplishment in that way but it all started with the first one and i think without the strong uh basis this world building that we have in the first one um and just the the real the the just the palpable passion like it's just coming out of the screen with the the, the, the first one especially um it's uh it, it i it, it's really clear that they made something really special so i'm glad that we agree on that and we know we know that most of uh, most of you listening out there have probably seen it and most most likely love it as much as we do if not more uh so we won't go on too long about it but i i just i just do think it's fascinating that that movie is 10 years old now. Like, how crazy is that to think that that was a decade ago? Right. I can still remember so vividly the nachos I got at the movie theater, <laughs> and now here I am, a, a surly, decrepit, 21-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> decrepit?
1: Yes. Very, very interesting choice of words.
0: I Hey, I am nothing if not a proponent of colorful syntax, so... <laughs> Oh, oh gosh. Go anyway, Adonis, I think that is just about everything we have. Um, for this for this episode of the Extra Milestone, I had a ton of fun talking about these movies with you. I hope that we get to that we get to do it again sometime.
1: Absolutely, anytime, man
0: yeah so
1: uh for
0: uh anyone who has been listening to this sort of uh expansion of the extra milestone so far thank you very much of course again we don't know when this is going to come out so i don't actually uh know what to tease for next week but suffice it to say it's going to be another exciting trip into the past uh perhaps multiple points in the past and i look forward to each and every one of them again thank you adonis for joining me i know it was sort of technologically difficult to pull this together but we did it by god and I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that we did
1: absolutely i agree man
0: yeah so i think that is just about all we got so we are going to sign off as we always do from the internet colorado i'm sam noland
1: from the world wide web arizona i'm adonis gonzalez
0: <laughs> and we'll see you on the next milestone